0: Good morning. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, we praise you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to be gathered here in your grace. And Lord, we pray that as we learn from your word that you will open our hearts and that you will open our minds. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the series Five Solas, and um, if you have missed any of the previous classes, you will find the recordings at the link at the bottom of your page. So we have covered scripture alone, and today we will be talking about grace alone. And grace, so again, there's so much to talk about grace. And this is not going to be a sermon about grace, this is going to be more about Uh, what grace alone means. And again, as I said, there's so much, and I will try not to preach, but I hope uh, I won't go into that. But uh, when we talk about grace alone, it's important to realize that this was a crucial matter in the Reformation, and not just during the Reformation, but before the Reformation, as we will see, and even today. You know, most Protestants, yes, they all believe faith alone, We are saved uh, through Christ alone. And uh, all of that is pretty easy for Protestants to believe today. But when it comes to grace, there is still a little bit of tension. And we will look at that today. And this is where I feel um, is such a crucial battle for grace alone. And uh, we'll talk about that today. But when we defined grace alone or sola gratia, uh, this is how we defined it. We said, salvation is only by God's unmerited favor. Okay, Salvation is only by God's unmerited favor. And God's unmerited favor is what we call grace. Okay, So God's unmerited favor is what we call grace. And uh, this was a crucial uh, topic during the Reformation. Now, as I said, the battle over grace or over the nature of grace did not start in the Reformation. It went all the way back to uh, fourth century, late fourth century, and early fifth century by a guy named uh, Pelagius. So Pelagius was a British monk, and if you want to know more about Pelagianism, when we did the equipping class on heresies and creeds, we spent a whole week looking at Pelagianism. So if you missed it, go to the website uh, at the bottom of your Page there and find the Heresies and Creeds uh, equipping class, and it's uh, part six of that equipping class. So you can uh, know more about it. And uh, what Pelagius said again, he said, We don't need grace. He said, We have everything that we need. We don't need grace. We have the ability to do what is required by God and to gain our salvation. So we don't need grace. That is what Pelagius said and obviously that was uh, declared as a heresy in the Council of Carthage in 418.80. So that was a controversy, and uh, please look at the equipping clause that we did. Uh, after that, there was another guy by name of John Cassian who said, you know, um, Pelagius, yes, I agree that um, he was wrong. The guy who refuted Pelagius was Augustine, And Augustine said, no, we need grace through and through. Okay, And John Cassian comes along and he said, you know, obviously Pelagius went too far to say, we don't need grace. And on the other hand, Augustine went too far to say, all we need is grace. So there is a middle ground. And he said, yes, we need grace, but we don't need grace to initiate our work of salvation. We reach out to God, and based on whoever reaches out, God helps those. Okay? So God will help and provide all the grace that is necessary for salvation to those who reach out to Him. Okay, so that was again declared as a heresy uh, in the Council of Orange in uh, 529 AD. So back in the early church, the battle for grace was very, very present. And people were talking about um, how are we saved? And this all goes back to what is the nature of man. And we will look at that today also. Um, But when it comes to the Reformation, you have to understand that this is in the history of the church, right? Reformation was in the 16th century. And as we said, all the activities are happening in the 14th, 15th, and 16th century. So people who were part of the church at that time They knew about these councils. They knew about Pelagius. They knew about semi-Pelagian. So they are not going to fall into that category to say, we don't need grace, or that we have to start first, and then God helps us. So when it came to the Reformation, the issue was not the necessity of grace. Okay? The issue was not the necessity of grace. If you look at the uh, canon from the Council of Trent, which was the council that the Catholic Church uh, came together for after the Reformation. It's also called the Counter-Reformation. The very first article, or the very first canon on justification, this is what the Catholic Church says. If anyone says that man may be justified before God by his own works, whether done through the teaching of human nature or that of the law, without the grace of God through Jesus Christ, let him be anathema." Okay, so that is what the Catholic Church said. They uh, said, if you think that you can achieve salvation, if you can be justified without God by your own works, without grace, let that person be anathema. So even the Catholic Church at that point, they um, saw that you need grace. Okay, so the battle was not about the necessity of grace. Anybody, what was the battle for then? If it was not about the necessity of grace, so what was the point of contention? Anybody? The role of works. Sorry? The role of works. The role of works, we will see that when it comes to faith next week, but that's a good one. Uh, The role of works, we will see that when we come to faith. Yes, Luis, sorry? Sufficiency. Ryan, were you gonna say something else? Sufficiency. Will were you gonna say something else? Yeah, whether grace is enough. Whether grace is enough. Yes, that was the point of the Reformation. Is grace sufficient? And what do we mean by sufficient? Last week we looked at the sufficiency of scripture. Basically, is grace adequate? Or is or does something need to be added to grace? Right? So that is what the point of contention was. And this is where the Catholic Church also, they spoke about merit, and we will look at that very briefly, but they said, no, we need merit. Uh, Grace is not all sufficient. Yes, God gives grace, but there needs to be merit. So the point of the Reformation or the major um, point of contention when it came to grace was, is grace sufficient? And you will see that even today, right? A lot of people will say, yes, we need grace. We need grace. Without grace, we can do nothing, right? But how much grace is needed? Is it all the way or is it a little bit and then we do something? Or is it 99% and we do 1%? How much grace is required? And so if you look at a scale of 0 to 100%, um, this is where the battle is. And uh, we'll look at this in the next slide. How much grace is sufficient from on a scale of zero to 100 percent? So, if we look at um, the Pelagianism, uh, which Pelagius taught, and he says, No, you don't need any grace. Okay, so yellow will be man's effort, and you will see orange, which is God's effort. So, yellow here is no, you don't need any grace. Man has the ability, and man can do what is needed to. be justified before God. And obviously, the Catholic Church condemned this as a heresy. So there are Pelagius, uh, Pelagians even today. If you look at the religion of Islam, it's through and through Pelagius, OK? All you, all you do is works. And uh, there are other uh, people who talk about Pelagius. Uh, anybody who's not a Christian, when you talk to them, how do you think you're going to be saved? It's like, I'm a good person. God will help me because um, I'm a good person. I try to be good and I try to do good, so I'm a good person. So there you go. That's, that's Pelagianism. Okay? Um, the second thing is semi Pelagianism. How much grace is needed for semi Pelagianism? And Pelagius taught, so, sorry, John Cassian taught that we have the ability to reach out to God, and those who reach out to God, God will give the grace that is helpful, that is needed. Okay, so this is where you will find even today uh, phrases like "God helps those who help themselves." Okay, so first you have to take the step. Okay, and when you take the step, God sees that, and He's like, "Okay, this person is reaching out to me, so I'm going to reach out to him. I'm going to give everything that he needs because this person reached out to me, and so I am going to help that person be saved and give him give him or her all the grace that he needs to be saved because they." have made the choice. They have taken the first step towards me. Okay, So that is what semi-Pelagianism teaches. What do you think Catholicism teaches? Anybody? Chris? Semi-Pelagianism, so same thing as what you see here. OK, anybody else? Working with God at the same time, so yellow and orange going hand in hand. Okay, that's a good guess. Yes, Matt? Dependent Pelagianism, going through the same. Uh, I haven't heard about dependent Pelagianism, but that's a good idea. Maybe I should look that up, but I don't know about dependent Pelagianism. Uh, But when it comes to Catholicism, they flip semi-Pelagianism. They say God gives grace to everyone, but at the end, you need human effort. Okay? So this is where you get the idea of grace plus merit. Okay, so God gives grace. God is the first one to act because they will not, they will not say that humans are the first one to act because that is semi-pelagianism and that was condemned as a heresy. Uh, talking about se- semi-pelagianism, I wrote an article on my website. Uh, it's called <laughs> "Salvation Predestined or Self-Determined," and that's where I address the topic of se- semi-pelagianism. Um, so, go to my website and read that article. But that's where they, Catholics will not say that man will reach us out first, okay, because they know that errs into semi Pelagian. But they will say God is the one who initiates salvation, God is the one who starts the work, okay, and he gives grace. But then it's up to humans to respond to that grace. And they have the ability to either respond or to reject that grace. Okay, so um, in the same uh, Council of Trent, canons on justification, canon number four, this is what canon number four says. If anyone says that man's free will moved and excited by God by assenting to God and... Sorry. Okay, let me read this again. If anyone says that man's free will moved and excited by God by assenting to God, exciting and calling, in no way cooperates towards disposing and preparing itself for obtaining the grace of justification. Let him be anathema. So what, is, what this canon is saying is, if anyone de- denies the role of free will, the role of humans cooperating and assenting to the grace of God, let that person be anathema or be accursed, be cut off. Uh, So this is where Catholicism uh, stood, and that's where they were, that yes, God gives grace, but we need to respond. And uh, if we don't, then God's grace just waits and waits and waits. Okay, so that is what Catholicism teaches. Um, What do you think is the Reformation idea then? Anybody? Grace alone? What does that mean? (laughs) God initiates and God finishes. No uh, slide. Okay. Reformation, it's 100% grace. Okay. This is uh, what the reformers fought for. This is what Augustine fought for. And if you look through the pages of scripture, this is what Jesus and Paul and all the other apostles also taught, and we will look at some scripture as we uh, look at in a a couple of slides, but this is what um, Reformation fought for, to say, no, it's all of grace. If you remember from the first class, uh, we spoke about Luther having read Romans and coming to the understanding that the righteous will live by faith. And he realized that the righteousness that he had is not his own righteousness, but it's a righteousness that comes from God. It's an alien righteousness where God gives righteousness to humans. So in that sense, it's like, I have nothing. All I have is what God has given me. And you will see even in John, where um, uh, um, the Gospel of John, where John the Baptist says that man has nothing unless what has been given to him. Right? So this was the point of contention when it came to the Reformation. It's not the necessity of grace, but it's the sufficiency of grace and how much grace is needed. And this is where the reformers said, grace alone, no human work, no human merit, nothing but grace alone. And the question is, why do you think um, people, or say Pelagius or semi-Pelagian or Catholicism, why would they add human uh, work or merit to grace. What do you think was the understanding of human nature or humanity that they were able to add that to God's work? Anybody? What was their understanding of human nature? Free will. Free will, yes, free will. Anybody else? Chris? That man has a shred of good, or is basically good? That man has a shred of good, or is basically good? Yes, so again, it comes down to the nature of man. So, um, so it comes, comes down to the nature of humans. So Pelagius, he, ta- he taught that humans are created in the same state as Adam was, right? So how was Adam created? Adam was created neutral he could sin, he could not sin. And for how much ever time that he spent in the garden, he did not sin till he ate the fruit of the tree that, uh, or ate of the tree that God prohibited him to eat from. Okay, so for that long he was doing what God had told him to do. He was naming the animals and he was doing all that. So he had the ability to sin, which is how he ended up sinning, or he had the ability of not sinning. And that is what Pelagius taught that every human being is, that's the nature that every human being is created in. What Adam did was up to Adam. It ended in Adam. Adam did not pass it along to anybody. Adam's sin was Adam's own. Everybody born after Adam are born in the same state, and they're born with a clean slate, and they either do good or they do bad. And again, go back and listen to Heresies and Creeds Part 6, and we go deeper into Pelagianism. Um, What about semi-Pelagianism? What is their idea of nature of man? So semi-Pelagians, they did not deny that Adam's sin was passed on, okay? So they said, yes, because of the fall, because of Adam's sin, humans are now damaged, right? They are severely wounded, they are corrupted, They did not have a sin nature before, but now they have a sin nature because of the fall. And if you look at all the different verses, even in Genesis 6, verse 5, God sees humans and he says that every intention of their heart is evil. And so, yes, Adam's sin affected all of humanity. Humans are severely corrupted. Their moral ability is severely corrupted. But, but they still have a little bit. In them um, to make the choice, to, to make a moral choice towards God. They're not so severely wounded that everything is completely destroyed, right? They still have maybe an island somewhere in their hearts uh, which has the ability to reach out to God. But God has to reach out first. If, if you're a Catholic and if you're a semi-Pelagian, you can use that to reach out to God. But it's there, it's there in every human the ability to reach out to God. And that's why they say that they still have the ability for moral choice. They can choose, that's why God calls out and he says, come to me and all of those things and now it's up to humans to respond and um, they respond because of what's left after the fall. But that's not what the Reformation taught. Reformation said man is completely dead in sin. Okay, and what does that mean? That means he is totally unable to make a moral choice towards God. Again, you have to be careful here when it comes to the concept of free will. It doesn't mean that we are robots, right? It doesn't mean that uh, God's pulling our string and everything that we do, me lifting my hand, is God pulling my string. No, that's not what the, that teaches. But what uh, the Reformation taught is man does everything that he wants. Yes, he chooses, but his will is in bondage to sin. Okay, so everything that he does is sinful because his will is in bondage to sin. Every choice that he makes is sinful. And that's why I think many of you who are Christians and who suffered with addictions in the past will say, yes, I tried so many times, but it didn't happen, right? I tried to quit. I tried to quit, but no, it didn't happen. I wanted to, but I didn't because your nature, your will was bound to sin. And at that moment, you chose based on your nature and out of your desire, which was bound to sin, you chose sinful acts. But then when we are born again, our nature has changed and we are no more bound to our sinful nature. And we are able now to choose for God because of the Holy Spirit living in us. Okay. So This is what the reformers taught that no, man is completely dead in sin, and uh, they don't have any ability to choose, or to even make the first step, or even to respond to God's grace. And Kevin, do you have something to say?
1: Maybe you can comment on this too, because um, the language of total depravity, I think, is a misnomer. And so I don't think you're saying that non-Christians can't do good things or live moral lives to some degree. Um, So do you want to clarify what you mean?
0: Yes, so I don't think, the so to clarify to what Kevin is saying, that we're not saying that non-Christians cannot do good. If you look at Romans 2, Paul says that even when non-Christians do inherently uh, what is pleasing to the law, that shows that God's nature is still in them and they unconscious, uh, by God's law put in their hearts, are doing what's good. But their intention, right? What are they doing it for? Are they doing it to please God? And Kevin wants to clarify here.
1: <laughs> well, and, and I might not say God's nature is in them, that they're still creating in God's image. So it's like the opposite of like the, the Catholic side where um, you're basically good but you've been severely corrupted we're saying your you're, bible ephesians 2 you're dead in sin so sin touches everything we do but we still have the image of god so it's, it's the other side of that that's more biblical so born in sin it touches every desire we have so even when we do good evil is right there with us Yes. right and so even when i preach a sermon as a sinner there's pride touching that making that good act Mm-hmm. still like filthy rags before God, but for Christ, which yeah. is why grace alone comes into play, which is probably where you're going next. But yeah. it doesn't mean that everybody is as bad as they could be. Right. The, the common grace in this world means that God is restraining evil all the time in us. Praise the Lord. And as people create the image of God, there are things like Romans 2 where his law is written on our heart so we still can do good and know that, hey, this is beautiful. This is good. Yep. You know? But sin, in, in terms of the word total depravity, it just touches everything that we do so that everything is corrupt.
0: Yeah, so to what Kevin said, yes, total depravity is probably a misnomer. The right word, word would be radical corruption. Like every area, every part of our being is corrupted and is tainted by sin, as Kevin was saying. But, the, but what the Reformation was teaching is because of that, because every nature, every part of our being is corrupted by sin, we are unable to reach out to God in salvation, for salvation. Okay, And this is where the main um, argument hap- uh, was also during Reformation, where um, there was a guy named Erasmus, and he realized what was being taught by Luther and by others. And he said, how can you say that man is not free? How can you say that man is not able to make a choice, and he wrote a huge diatribe on free will to say that yes, man can choose, man has the ability to choose, and in response to uh, Luther, I have this in your handouts, and he realized, Luther realized that Erasmus was the one who was touching the crux of the matter, the crux of the Reformation, which was the idea of free will okay so when he wrote and this was the first written debate of the reformation if you're interested but when luther wrote back to erasmus and he says erasmus i give you great praise you alone in preeminent distinction from all others have entered upon the thing itself that is the ground that is the grand turning point of the cause excuse me it is the grand turning point of the cause, and have not wearied me with those irrelevant points about popery, purgatory, indulgences, and other like baubles. You and you alone saw what was the grand hinge upon which the whole turned, and therefore you attacked the vital part at once. For which, from my heart, I thank you. Okay. So Luther realized that this was the whole hinge on which the the movement turned, or the reformation turned. What is man's ability? Does man have free will to reach out to God? And this is where Luther said, no, man's will is bound to sin. And there's another book which Jonathan Edwards uh, wrote, which is called The Freedom of the Will, I think. Um, And then he says, yes, we are free, but every choice that we make is because of our sinful nature. It's because how sin corrupts every part of our being. And because of that, our will is bound to sin. Okay, So that was the main point. And this is, you will see this even today, people uh, advocating for free will. But what, is, what does that really mean is where the question comes. And that's where the heart of the matter is. What do you mean by free will? Okay. Um, any questions up to this point?
1: Again, point of clarification, just for people's sake. One, I think a lot of times when you hear Christians talk about free will, I mean, it it drives really helpful to. It's very helpful to see how this all affects the gospel and how we understand grace. But what they what they might mean is free agency, which again, just a different term, but is helpful for getting that sort of biblical truth. So, by free agency, we mean yes, we're free to make choices. We're not robots. We're we're doing things as we wish on our own. Um, but it's, it's not as if we're doing that totally untouched by any influence within or without. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it's not, it's not completely free because my heart is messing with my choices I'm freely making. So just having that distinction of free agency is what a lot of people mean by free will. But free agency is more biblical, biblically okay. accurate. Yep. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. I think it's the, are we, as agents, how free are we? Yeah, Um, any other questions or comments? Yes, Dan. How do you uh, compare the semi-Pelagian view with uh, the idea that humans are created in the image of God and like we do have some of, I guess, some of God's nature in us? Yeah, the semi-Pelagians, I I don't think they deny the fact that we have lost God's nature completely. Uh, The semi-Palatians will still say that, yes, we have the ability or the agency to choose. God's nature is not so destroyed that we are dead, but we are severely wounded, we are sick, but we still have a little bit of a pulse left. That is how they would define that. Any other questions, Ryan? Um,
1: I'm just thinking about how Jesus is similar slash different for, in terms of the nature of man, if he was truly human, but he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, where does what is, is he just a different kind, like what makes him fully human versus like what's the difference between Adam and him and what's what's same about Adam and him and what's, I don't know, I
0: guess. Yeah, no, it's a great question. What's different about Jesus when it comes to sinful nature? And I will say, come back in two weeks when we talk about Christ alone. So two weeks when we talk about Christ alone, the first class we will talk about Christ's nature. And the second week we will talk about his work. So um, he is fully man and fully God. That is what I will say at this point. Kevin, do you want to answer that? look, well, real quick. Jesus. <laughs> G- Jesus is more
1: fully human than we are. That's what I would say, is that sin is not human. We are fallen because of that. So we are less human in terms of what God created us to be in Genesis 1 than Jesus is. So taking on human likeness, it's just he, didn't, he wasn't fallen. So the, the hope is that we become more that we were created to be, as Jesus is, human, truly.
0: Okay. I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna move on. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> I have seven minutes here. Um, okay, so we spoke about all of this, so let's look at some scripture to understand what does scripture say about all of this. Yes, we spoke so much about the arguments, the debates, and the concepts, but what does scripture say about this. So if somebody has uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 7 to 8, Becky, and another person can pull up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, and uh, one more person can pull up John chapter 6 and verse 44. So Becky go with Romans 8, 7 to 8. Got it. The mindset
2: of flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law, indeed it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God.
0: The mind set on the flesh cannot please God, and that's a statement about ability. It cannot please God. Who's got John six forty four? John six forty four, not Ephesians two. Oh, John? John. Does anybody have John six forty four? Okay, I'll come back to Ephesians two in a second.
1: No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day.
0: Yeah. So when Jesus when Jesus says no one can come to me, the word over there in the Greek is ability. No one is able to come to me unless the Father draws him and there's your ability of man and that's a universal negative no one no one is able no one has the ability unless the father draws him okay Ephesians 2 1 to 9 Chris
2: and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously live among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath. One second.
0: Let's stop there. So what Paul is saying, that we were dead in sin. Okay, we were bound to our our flesh, to the world, and to... Um, to satan and we acted in the inclinations of our flesh we are dead in sin completely dead and what do dead people do huh nothing, nothing. <laughs> okay so dead people can do nothing and it's so if you look at those charts is it man who initiates how can man initiate when he's dead right is it man who responds how can man respond when he is dead and the picture that we should get is from Ezekiel, the valley of the dry bones. What, do you, what did Ezekiel see over there? It was dry bones. And what were the dry bones doing? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> okay, they were just rotting. And that's the picture. And if you go and uh, tell dry bones, and that's where God tells speak. And we'll come to evangelism in a minute, but that's where God tells Ezekiel speak. And then the breath of God comes and gives life to those tribals. Uh Chris, continue reading, please.
2: Under wrath as other words also, but God who is enriched in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift,
0: not from works, so that no one can boast. All right, thank you, Chris. So, after Paul says that we are dead in sin, verse 4, verse 4 is so pivotal And he says, but God, okay? God did not leave us to be dead in sin, but God, because of his great love and mercy, made us alive with Christ. He made us alive in Christ. Okay, that is what grace alone is teaching. We were dead, unable to respond, but God, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, he made us alive, okay, and that is why we are saved by grace through faith, which we will talk about next week, okay? There are more verses that in your handout, so please go and look at those. It talks about man's inability and also God reaching out and saving us. John 15, 16, where Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, um, and so on. So, as we finish up, Um, It's important, as we said, grace, it was the sufficiency of grace that was the point of contention when it came to salvation. And the Reformers, and from the Bible also, salvation is accomplished solely by God, by his grace. In that sense, it's a monergistic act, which means it's only one person working, bringing to life dead people. It's not a synergistic act where Man cooperates with God in the work of salvation. So it's a monergistic act, and all glory goes to God, and which is what we will see in our last class, uh, which is to the glory of God alone. There is no credit for humans in salvation. and I think all of us will say that. How were you saved? If you ask anybody who is a Christian, how were you saved? The answer will be, God saved me. God saved me. Uh, I was... I was on my path. I was on the way to destruction, but thank God he saved me. Even people who will advocate for free will, they will say the same thing. God saved me, okay? Uh, So in that sense, it is a true statement. God saves sinners, okay? And that is what grace alone was contending, that it's a monogistic act. It's not synergistic. Uh, We do not cooperate with God, but God saves us Completely in through and through, so again, God has mercy on whom He has mercy Romans nine fifteen to eighteen. Uh, the question that R- Paul was addressing is when you see that, okay, it's God who's doing, then people will be like, uh, that's not fair, so what am I to do? I am so what can I do then? Nothing, that's not fair, which is what Paul was arguing in Romans nine, and you can go back and read this verse and he says. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. It's his prerogative, and it's his choice, and it's his grace. Grace is unmerited. We cannot merit, we cannot claim, and we cannot say, God, you have to give me grace. No. Uh, So grace is unmerited, and God has mercy on whom he has mercy. And obviously, the cry would be, that's not fair. And honestly, I don't think we want fairness from God. We don't want justice from God because if God is fair and if God is justice, if if God uh, executes his justice towards us, where do you think we will be? Dead. Dead In uh, hell, away from him because we have all broken God's law. And if God executes his justice towards us, then uh, we have no hope. But God does not Uh, execute his justice. He extends his grace. He gives us mercy. There is no injustice in God. And that is what Paul says in Romans 9 verse 14 also. There is no injustice in God. People who are condemned are justly condemned because of their sin and because of their rebellion to God. And people who are saved, they are saved because of God's grace. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And um, so there is no injustice in God. And finally, after all this, the question would be then, if it's God who's doing everything, uh, why should we preach? <laughs> Let's just wait for God to do what he's doing, right? But that's not what uh, God tells us in his word, and that's not how he saves also. Um, when the Remember the value of dry bones? God tells Ezekiel to speak, and that is what we are called to do. We are called to go and preach the gospel, Romans 10 7, 17, how will they hear if, how will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if no one is sent? So we are called to go preach. And when the word of God is spoken, the Spirit of God will take that word of God and will regenerate the people of God. Okay, so this is where it's so important to grasp the idea of grace, and we will probably never ever understand the fullness of it. Why did God show mercy towards us? Why did God show grace towards us? There is no way we can answer it. It was out of his good pleasure that he chose uh, to show mercy towards us. And uh, that was the point of grace alone. We are saved by grace alone and not of any human merit and nothing else. Let's pray and close. If you have any questions, please come talk to me. Um, But let's close. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for looking at us and extending your mercy and your love towards us, Lord. Lord, we did not deserve it. We were guilty before you. But Lord, you, because of your great love and mercy, made us alive in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to understand this and help us, Lord, to grasp the truths. And even as we go uh, preaching your gospel, help us, Lord, to know that it is you who is acting And it's not our efforts, but it's you who is causing all things for your glory. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.